Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. Today I'd like to welcome Sonal Patel. Sonal is a national award-winning multimedia journalist. She is currently a senior associate editor at Power Magazine. Sonal, how are you doing today? Very good, Raj. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being on. Sonal, I'd like to kick the show off with something interesting that people might not readily know about you. So if you'd care to share. Well, um, I think I, I, I don't know that I can think of anything very interesting. I think um, what, what pe- intrigues people a lot is uh, when I tell them that I'm a journalist and I work for um, the magazine, which is Power, a lot of... I don't know. Um, a lot of people aren't very familiar with our magazine. It's a very old magazine, 137 years this October, actually. Um, and it is a magazine that covers power generation of all forms, global um, coverage. And uh, we talk about business and policy. And um, the thing about it is that I think for the most part, we're writing for a very technical audience. And it suits me very well, and I think that um, you know there's a uh, it's it's an interesting uh, aspect that people find you, you rarely have journalists writing about engineering and finding engineering interesting. Um, mm-hmm. So I think you know uh, I think that is you know usually why people are intrigued. You know, this is journalism is fascinating occupation because you you tend to have the opportunity to cover anything you so choose as long as you have this element of curiosity and I think this obsession for detail you know and so you can make a story out of anything that you you observe or frankly experience and I think um and so when when you turn that sort of skill to to engineering it becomes a whole new animal um so that is what I would say. <laughs> so that is interesting because I, I think, you know, you said something there and my mind kind of went to, you know, you, people read articles, you read stories. You often forget that it's being written by a person, you know, the, the journalist themselves. Sure. And so it must, must be interesting at dinner parties or cocktail parties when you tell people you're a journalist, especially in this day and age where being a journalist is being, you know, question talked about what kind of reactions do you get when you tell people that you're a journalist well it depends on <laughs> to whom you're speaking with of course you know uh, i think a lot of people there is you're right there has been a lot of skepticism about journalism lately and there has been a lot of um i think uh, a lot of distrust about what we do um and frankly i think you know, it's generally the environment and the idea that information can be manipulated so easily. So people tend to think that you are sort of part of this pact of of people who willfully, you know, uh, they willfully manipulate information. And mm-hmm. and the opposite, it's the opposite. Entirely people, journalists, you know, are, compl- as in, in, in our case, we deal with a lot of details um, and and accuracy has to be the number one thing because uh, a lot of the things that you do and you write are, are attached to this credibility. Uh, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, I think the reason that you read a story and you forget who the journalist is is because you you trust them intrinsically, right? And I think that is a huge responsibility. And I think you you have to go um, 
when when you are writing a story, in fact, this is partly why I love working for Power, which is a magazine, is you take the time to really sift through the details to make sure that everything is um, just set perfectly right and people can understand in the most clear way what it is that you are trying to convey to them, you know. Mm -hmm. So So let me ask you a question about it. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, So once you publish a story, I've seen in the past where, you know, stories not necessarily in power, but in other uh, publications have been published, and then there might be an error in reporting or perhaps a miscommunication. And then there's, you know, a conversation about, you know, retraction or correction. How do you handle those kinds of situations? At Power, we typically address them very quickly. If there is something that glaring, if it's something that we dispute, then we will try to follow up and get more details as to why the dispute exists. Mm -hmm. Typically, um, it's it's as simple as a mis <clears throat> sorry a typo or a miscommunication and that's easily cleared up but we will issue a correction at the end of every story um and you know if it's something that is a big detail that we've misreported then we will publish a, a secondary story to explain what it was and how that error was made so i think I think it's the same for any corporation. How do you, how do you do it at your company? You know, everybody makes mistakes. I think um, I think communication is the best way, and I think that's that's really the best way to you know being direct is the best way to get the best information. So. To totally agree, and and I think I think for example, like you you mentioned our corporation. I think the benefit of our corporation is that our audience is probably much smaller. So, you know, if we if we make an error with a client, it's probably between us and the client, where the publication like yours, you know, has so many readers, it's probably a little bit more, you know, different the way you have to handle it. Yeah. I mean, you're right. And I think part of that's one of the reasons we take so, you know, so much pain to make it right in the first place. But everyone, I think, understands that, you know, um, yeah, these types of errors happen. Um, and, and people point them out and we're grateful to our readership too, especially if there's something that we have misunderstood or misreported, then we take the pains to, to make it right. And, and I'd also like to add, and please correct me if I'm wrong. One of the benefits of your magazine is that you're not trying to be on a breaking news cycle. So you have, sorry, go ahead. No, we do. We do. Well, the thing about power is that uh, as much as it's a magazine, we also follow developments. So if there are news stories that need to be broken, then we do them quickly. For example, if there has been an accident or um, there has been a breakthrough in a policy or, or a judgment by the Supreme Court, then we will put it out as soon as we possibly can so that people are aware of it because these types of stories tend to make an impact on the, their decisions. Um, mm -hmm. And especially if we have a, more details than we can convey, um, if it's something that's in generally interesting to people that we know will garner their um, attention, then we will put it out as a breaking news story. Yeah. So you've been with Power since 2008. Um, it's quite a while. It's um, 11 years. You've seen the industry landscape changed over the years. Um, how has that changed your reporting and what are some of the major changes you're seeing? That's a great question. Um, I think that, you know, we, 
When I joined Power, it was 2008, as you say, um, and it was right at the end of George Bush's, W. Bush's last year. And so it was a very a different time. I remember the first, one of the first stories I wrote was about Yaku Mountain um, and the trove of documents uh, being delivered um, so that the pro process could get started. And of course, the repository still hasn't been built. Um, and so there are certain things that don't change. Um, but, <laughs> but, you know, overall, it, the this pace of change that occurred during the Obama administration has been just mind-blowing. I think the way, um, I think the first few years, we spent a lot of time talking about regulations and the mm -hmm. EPA's move to sort of address coal power and uh, the regulations that, are, you know, happened um, and the pushback that, you know, came from industry. And I think, uh, and the years after the rules started coming into effect and industry started to um, adopt them, then you started mm -hmm. to see this change gradually in companies like Duke Energy and American Electric Power and and Southern Company people who you know companies that had these massive generation portfolios that were majority coal fired and all of a sudden there has been this influx of you know renewables because of the renewable portfolio standards you've seen sort of efficiency measures on all levels then you had the the shale gas boom, right? Um, you had the influx and sort of now we're seeing gluts in the market for shale, I mean, gas power. We've seen new models. Technology has just, uh, I mean, the, the rate of change that has been spurred by the simple aspect of people looking for sustainable solutions and more sustainable business models has mm -hmm. been just astounding, I think. It's been a really interesting um, few years to cover this industry so uh to me i think it never gets boring and i think now we're seeing you know decentralization we're seeing as a lot of sources like to point out the digitalization part of it um mm -hmm. and all of it has to do with a lot of the decarbonization measures that are going in effect all over the world so you see you know countries shaking up their generation profiles and 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 trying new things and and you know really spending a lot of money in battery technology and grid modernization and um, it's a very different time. I think if you told someone in two thousand eight that this is what the future would be, I think that I think we would all be I think we would all be in disagreement. So so at Power, you get the opportunity to report on all these different technologies. Do you have any favorites? Um. <laughs> That's an interesting question. I don't have favorites. I cover everything equally um, and with sort of the same type of zeal because I um, I think I find them all their own unique topics. For example, okay. this morning I was writing. In fact, we were just creating. I was creating an infographic that was um, basically describing how nuclear technology has evolved. Uh, since, mm -hmm. you know, it came, since the first reactor started construction in, in 1954. So how did it go from, you know, for example, 
Russia and and the U.S. and China and Japan uh, and Japan and the U.K. to all these nations that have nuclear power plants now, and and basically it it, it evolved through a series of of models that um, that have that each has their own benefit and each have been adopted for their own reasons, and I think the nuance of covering that for every technology, be it nuclear or coal or gas is interesting, is fascinating to me. And I think the reasons that they're adopted and the engineers who put them, you know, to work and the way they are developed and the, the pains that it, they go through to get certified or licensed or, um, you know, even just the funding mechanisms that, that come mm-hmm. with it, you know, the financing that happens for startups who are trying to push, um, you know, solutions um, onto the market that could be, I hate to use this word because I know it's so overused, game changing. Go ahead and say it. I know it starts with a G, I think. Yeah. But, but, you know, I think in some, in every tiny little way, every technology that people, every idea that people have is interesting and, and merits coverage. So, you know, there's nothing too small, I think, for me to to not pay attention okay. to. So I am a nerd, a, as as you probably you know can tell. You're you're speaking to a fellow nerd. Um, <laughs> you know, Daniel Jurgen's book, The Prize, one of my favorite books. Yeah. I was talking about it the other day, and I think I read it twice. So, eight hundred pages twice. Yeah. Um, do you? Have, so perhaps what you? Sorry, go ahead. Do you have a a specific technology that you enjoy or or fuel source? Or? You know, so. Um, this is where you're falling into the interviewer. See, <laughs> I, I'm I'm really fascinated by um, anaerobic digestion. Mm-hmm. I just I, I just think you know if we can find a way to do that on mass with whether it's with um, trash or waste. I, I think you know that waste of value, waste of energy. I'm I'm it, it's really added new filter to the way I look at things. So whenever whenever I see waste, I think hmm, can we convert that to energy? So. That's interesting. That's one of my. That's one that I'm very curious about. Perhaps not a favorite for you, but you know you've been there 11 years. Did did you see a technology that came up on the horizon? Let's say when you were midway through at Power, and you thought, "Wow, I didn't see that coming," or that one really picked you. You know, piqued your curiosity or your nerdiness. Hmm, that's interesting. Um, there have been so many. I think for me, the latest. I think. I cover each story, um, you know, generally with that same sort of fervor. But I think the story that really, um, really, really piqued my interest was the one day out of the blue, a spokesperson called me in 2012 and it told me basically on the phone, I think they were in the car and at Uber, somewhere they were going and they said to me, you know, we have this brand new combustor. And it runs on supercritical carbon dioxide. And, you know, it's going to change the way that coal power and gas power is produced because it's not going to have any carbon dioxide emissions. And this was mm-hmm. in the early years, you know, we still had the clean power plan. It was still in the nascent stages in the Obama administration. There was a lot of pushback. And you, you would never think that, you know, this there would be that much support. But, you know, even without very much federal funding, even though, Mm -hmm. you know, for example, the DOE has been invested in these types of technologies um, to have a private company say, uh, we are going for it. We have the investment we need, and we're going to put out um, a unit for demonstration or otherwise. And of course, you know, 
they're doing it. They've built it. And there isn't any word yet when it's going to be commercially online. But but mm -hmm. fact, and I'm talking about net power. Have you heard of this project? I don't think I have. It's a project in Houston. It's 50 uh, megawatts thermal. Um, and it's very interesting because the combustor is so tiny, so it takes up a very small footprint. And it's really, a, you know, sort of an innovative way of thinking about um, any type of fossil fuel combustion or and, and it, supercritical carbon dioxide, obviously, is, can be used for a lot of different technologies. So let's let's see what comes out of this project and we'll just be waiting for it. But that's actually one. now that you mention it, I think I did read about it in Power Magazine. Oh, very good. <laughs> I think you had a I, th I think you had an image in there regarding it. Yeah, it's, you know, people are interested in it because just because it's a different way of doing things. And obviously, it caters to a lot of different fuel types. And um, these types of things generally, you know, they're sort of come out of the box. And mm -hmm. it's not an evolutionary technology. So it's kind of hard for people to understand what it is and what the impact will be. So, um but yeah, I look for the story on it. Yeah, thank you. I think we we published one. I think it was in April. So we have a series of articles trying to explain exactly what it is, and um, June. you know, stay tuned for updates. I will. So one of the things I like to explore on this podcast is the why behind people are doing what they do. Mm -hmm. So you know, what drove you? What motivated you to join Power and you know? stay with it this long, you know, what, what's the why behind why you do what you do? Hmm. I think that the reason that I stay at power is because I think there is, I am a person driven by curiosity and, um, I have an almost obsessive quest for details and I enjoy uh, fleshing out an idea. And I know I could probably do that in any outlet, but um, power has obviously the 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 I guess the the scope of coverage in this industry, which I find fascinating, and is in a you know state of flux. Um, uh, I think for the most part, uh, you know, the reason that you go into magazine work is because you can talk to a lot of different people to mm -hmm. flesh out a single idea and the insights that you come away with are just you know everybody is different and even the the, the small things or the big things that they do from the CEOs to the plant operators you know they have insights and and even if they're unrelated or they're they're completely related to the subject at hand i think you you tend to you tend to really value perspective. Do you understand what I'm trying to mm -hmm. say? Is that you you tend to see the world in in different angles, you know, and you and it, it gives you an appreciation for life because you it's like every even mundane thing that you can possibly do. There's diff, someone else who can have a different experience of what it is that they're um, finding or are finding valuable. And mm -hmm. I think that gives your, you know, sort of your, your thought, your ideas, more quality, you know, and, um, it generally makes them just much more enjoyable. 
So I'm trying to express this sense of joy that you find in in reporting and actually talking to people who who have extremely different ideas from you, you know. I totally agree with you. In fact, um, as you were talking, I, I thought to myself, you know, as someone that's also insatiably curious, um, very rarely do I come across something that, to use your word, is or do I find mundane once you really start investigating it. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is also, as a journalist, you know, you have to be objective. So I have ideas. How? How, <laughs> how, do, you maintain, how do you maintain objectivity? How? Well, it's it's key. The key lesson there is that you you cannot walk around with assumptions. Um, assumptions generally tend to become concrete in a lot of people's minds, and they go through their lives making decisions based on these, you know, easily outdated assumptions. You know, it's. Mm-hmm. In a cha- in a, in an industry that is in in the state of flux as ours is, um, you you cannot have assumptions about um, you know anything. Not the statistics, not the, the type of technology, not the the costs. You know because things are so fluid and they change so so easily. So and the reason I say that is that you know the assumptions you when you challenge your assumptions uh, when Basically, you you when you're talking to anyone, anyone you interview, you are trying to to make sure that what it is that they're saying to you is credible, and so you have to ask them these very pointed questions, and you know, um, and at the same time, you are trying to learn from them. So you have to to try to not assume that you know any more than you do, and I think you go into it with a lot of humility, and you come back out of it extremely rewarded you know so um it's so you know you mentioned pointed questions um have you ever had times when people have become defensive and perhaps even maybe a little volatile (laughs) all the time all the time but generally they're, they're typically the people who have um, to answer to a lot of reporters and are generally, mm-hmm. t- you know, sort of annoyed <laughs> by reporter <laughs> questions. <laughs> mm-hmm. Most people that I speak to are usually one-on-one. Um, when there's a press conference and there's a barrage of questions from very reporters can be sometimes um, demanding. And I, I, I think that sometimes, you know, it is our job to, because it is our job to keep public officials accountable um, mm-hmm. You know, when you find this type of pushback, you and you have just a little space or, or a little bit of time to get the question. I think I understand why people can be a little bit more hostile when they ask their questions. Um, but you know, generally, you know, you try to be as courteous as you possibly can to anyone to whom with whom from whom you are seeking information. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you know, it's part of the job. I think you, you, you know, the people who are trying to to not give you the information that you are seeking, and obviously, you have your you have your ways to either find that information or, or you know, explain why it's difficult to get it. So, um, I, I, I can't imagine what it would be like, but um, I mean, I'm sure you handle it very well. I think you so, do very well. You are quite an interviewer. Um, well, I appreciate the compliment. Yeah. 
So um, power mm-hmm. in general, um, let's say the next five years, you have a, let's call it a murky crystal ball at best. Mm-hmm. How do you see the landscape changing hmm. from a generation standpoint, technology? I, I disagree with you that it's murky, I think. Even better. I was giving you an out. Go ahead. Crystal ball. People lay money on this. Here's where to invest. Listen very, very carefully. After this whole speech that I gave you about challenging assumptions, right? (laughs) Let's just go with it. Um, Well, I I think that there is kind of a trajectory that we're seeing more and more. And I think more so than ever. You know, the one thing that everyone says right now, the, the business community, because there is no, we have an administration that the regulations are fluid and all over the world, you know, sort of, I think there is a def- definitive, um, I think there is this, this path that has been cut out toward decarbonization and you can see it. The other, I mean, and I don't want to keep repeating things you've probably heard over and over with digitalization. We have, uh, we have a, a, an event that we put out at Power. It's called um, the Connected Plant Conference, um, okay. and what we do there is we explore digitalized digitalization at power plants. You know, and how technology is changing the way we run our plants, and um, it's, I mean, big and small. You know. The way that data can be collected and and used, and you know, it, it's it's done in so many different ways, and the way it's it's done on trading levels, on you know market levels, it's done for performance optimization, it's done, you know, for transmission, it's done in you know. There's I don't think that there's sort of re, you, we're not going back, right? Digitalization is the future. Mm-hmm. And I tend to think the same of uh, carbon decarbonization because I think that I think that um, I think that renewables have made um, have made they've made a, a, a main road, and I think that people are adopting them, uh, you know, for good reason, whether it is uh, just for the environment or just for efficiency, or just because it's easier to use because it's a decarbonized um, source of energy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, those are two definite. And the other ask, I mean, I I can't tell you how the market's going to work because the markets are extremely complex right now. There's a lot of, um, there are a lot of um, issues that are still under review at FERC, for example, the EPA is looking at a lot of regulations. Um, so I, you know, it's smart for businesses to kind of try to forge their own, their own paths. Uh, no. And while this, all this un- uncertainty is happening, you know, they have to make some type of business direction. And to me, it, you know, from everything I've read, it seems like the environmental, the social, you know, that part that the, 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 EGS governance, you know, the, the, that part right, of the ESG, right? Right. They've all, um, I think they're moving toward more responsibility, you know? And so mm-hmm. I think, I think it's going to be quite an interesting five years. Um, what are your projections that I would be interested to hear? You know, what, what do you think? What do you think is, I am in, like you said, I'm, I'm a full on learning mode. I, don't have projections. I'm excited. Um, I'm excited for 
personal reasons, you know, I have three young daughters that I absolutely adore. Mm -hmm. And whatever, you know, we can do as company, community, individuals to to make the world, you know, better is is I'm 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 on board. So that that's what I see and that's what I say is that if someone has a good idea out there and you know we can get on board and to your point about the ESG or triple bottom line, if we can make money, be profitable while doing good in the world, then you know, I don't see an option. I think that's a way to go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that that that's what I would say. Yeah. Um, if there's one piece of advice you would share with the audience, what would it be? Well, I think um, you know. I think that um, I think that you know. I think that when you read a new story, I think try to. Uh, it's it's generally this idea of generalized generalized ideas. Um, and this is the reason that you you read and you talk to people, right? I think you try to flesh out. My my advice would generally be to try to flesh out um, your your thoughts, your ideas. You know, explore. You know, try and see um, the the other sides of the of the issue. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I think that w- there it's it's generally a, it's, it's we're moving towards you know uncomfortable polarization. And I I if you were to ask me, in fact, I've been contemplating for some time about writing an article about partisanship and environments and energy, and I think it has no place in it. You know, generally, I think that mm-hmm. <clears throat> the reason that that sort of those ideas seep into this type of business is because people tend to to exploit generalizations, and so mm-hmm. I think you know. I would my my advice is always close to scrutiny and and just try and educate yourself on the on the issues and I mean and <clears throat> honestly and this is the type of business that I'm in and we we try our best to help you. Do you understand what I mean? It's just. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of trying to see the other side, and I think you know, along with that, people should perhaps pause for a moment after they read something to digest it, mm-hmm. rather than you know just jumping to conclusions. Um, I think one of the things you touched on earlier is about challenging assumptions, and I think that that's very important too. So mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate that, and, and and I agree with you regarding the polarization and the partisanship. So totally agree with you. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So is there any last thoughts you have for the audience, Sonal? No, I think I'm curious. You know, I I think the thoughts that I would have is please provide your feedback to to us, the editors, and anyone that you find writing, anybody you hear talking at a conference, you know, please go ahead and share your ideas and, you know, ask your questions because questions are where sort of, I think, you know, questions really fuel this this sense of of expanding an idea. So, um, the more we have of that, I think, the better that we can help cover this industry and and you know dispel these generalizations and and give people sort of the information that they need. So, well, I'll put your email address as a link to this podcast, and if anyone out there has any breaking news wants to engage in dialogue, or wants to be a whistleblower, feel free to contact Sonal. (laughs) 
yeah. with your news. And I'm sure she'll be able to, you know, give you some fair coverage at Power Magazine. Thank you. Sonal, I'd like to thank you for your time today. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Okay. Thank you very much. What an opportunity. Have a wonderful day. Thank you. Thank you.